Because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for these words of hope and perseverance, especially in these days, Father. I'm so thankful that you can give us these words of <clears throat> continuing on during this walk that we have, Lord, which can be really difficult at times. I pray, Father, as the word is being preached to us this morning, that you would speak into our hearts, speak into our minds, and speak into our souls that truth that you have laid before us as uh, our brother excuse me, preaches to us this morning. We thank you for all these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. And have a seat. I want to invite my friend Jeff up this morning. The, the two microphones, Pete, actually. Um, so Jeff is part of the Village Green Collective. You guys have heard us talking about this, of small town New England churches, planting small town New England churches together. Uh, Jeff will share a little more of his story uh, and what God has put on his heart, but he is and his wife Christy are going to be uh, endeavoring soon to plant a church in Townsend, Massachusetts. Uh, I'll let him share more of those details I'm sure it'll share a little bit for you um, but I just wanted to introduce you to Jeff uh, we wanted to continue to build this partnership that we have with these other churches and so I invited Jeff to open up the word for us this morning and I really was excited when uh, we were finishing John chapter 20 last week and knowing John chapter 21 that comes next week uh, and seeing Paul's words uh, that will open up this morning in Romans 8 Eight, I think tie these two passages together really well. Uh, for us who, as well as Paul, are on this side uh, of the resurrection, just like the disciples who we'll see in the next two weeks uh, in John 21 are on this side of the resurrection and how Jesus ministers to them. And um, I hope and prayers uh, Jesus will minister to us this morning, which I know he will. So would you pray with me as we welcome Jeff? Father, thank you for. Jeff for being willing to come and to open up your word for us here at Cornerstone this morning. God, would you speak through him? God, would your voice be heard? Uh, would you help us to glorify you as we rest in the grace and the mercy and the love that we have accomplished through your son on the cross, through his resurrection for us? Would you be honored and glorified in Jesus' name? Amen. safe to turn on the other mic. <laughs> All right. Well, I just want to thank uh, Pastor Aaron and the elders for inviting me here. Uh, it's a privilege to be here, privilege to share with you God's Word this morning. Uh, my wife and I have some ties to Vermont. My wife was born in St. Johnsbury uh, and then grew up in Lindenville, a little town with a, a little school in it. Uh, and so she spent quite a few years uh, in her or early childhood. I don't have a lot of ties to Vermont, but I will drive two hours for um, some Vermont um, maple creamies, which I had yesterday, <laughs> and I was glad I did. Uh, Aaron introduced me to that, actually. Uh, he brought, uh, <laughs> I'll never forget this, he brought to one of our Village Green Collective meetings just these, like, cases of, <laughs> of creamies. 
these and we were just all kind of gaga over over these things so it was beautiful it's beautiful to be back uh, it's a beautiful place and i'm just thankful uh, that god allows us to do this it's good to go somewhere else and see brothers and sisters in christ and know that god is at work the gospel is at work here uh, amongst you and just evidenced by cornerstone and his faithfulness to this church and to each of you uh, through it so it's a privilege to be here we are jumping into a passage eight chapters into a book um, so let me frame the morning this way I'll tell a quick story so uh, three weeks ago, uh, my friends and I, two friends and I, went on a day adventure. And so what, what we did, this idea started about three years ago. And near us, there's this, uh, I know you have the, uh, some really great trails coming through here, but uh, like the Appalachian Trail. But our trails, <laughs> there's this 22-mile trail system near us. And it starts off in Greenfield, New Hampshire, and goes 22 miles over seven small mountains, nothing compared to this here, uh, and ends in Ashburnham, Massachusetts. And so just to give you the idea of how far that is, because it's a, it's a decent distance, um, if you hop on 107 to 100 and go over to Killington and just follow those roads over, that's 22, 23 miles. So it's a distance. Uh, and so we were, uh, at this point in our lives, it was like, that's, that's doing pretty good. <laughs> we're excited for ourselves. Um, so uh, my friend had done this as a two-day hike, and we said, well, hey, I bet you we could do this in a day, because uh, that's what guys do. We one-up each other, and so I think we could do this in a day. So we did that last year. We set out to do that this year, and I'm happy to say we did complete it, uh, though it was a little slower than last year, so we'll have to see what we can do next year for another annual trip. Uh, but that's not the point of the story that we made it although that's a good part of the story. The real point is that these, this 22-mile trail system ends on this little tiny mountain uh, at the very end. And so you, we end this 22-mile trek, and you just see children running around <laughs> at the top of this mountain. And um, you know a variety of different families and things on here. And, and nobody has an, any idea that we just spent nine, ten hours walking through the woods <laughs> over these mountains, um, and they just see us at the same point they are. Uh, they have no idea of what had come before. So in order for them to really understand, uh, we, uh, you need to share with them. Uh, people ask, so where did you come from? And we'd say, the beginning. <laughs> they say, well, that's a long ways. Yes, it is. Um, but they had no idea because they didn't know the work that we had put into it, right? And I, I think even if you're not a hiker, you can probably understand that feeling of putting a lot of work into something thing and seeing the end result and people really not understanding all the work that went into it and so it needs to be explained and so I feel like jumping into Romans 8 is kind of like that you look at it and go wow that's a really nice passage but but without understanding all the work Paul's been put put into this to get to this point uh, we really can't understand the mountaintop kind of climactic section that this really is 
Uh, so what I want to do is I want us to kind of look at some of that work in order to bring us back to this passage. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, has been working through the book of Romans to make some very key points. And beginning back, way back in chapter 5 of the letter, he was making this rock-solid case that what Christ accomplished for us was complete justification. Justification as before God and how this justification provides full assurance that God actually loves us. And so I know justification is a weighty theological word to, to use before lunch even. Uh, so just to understand that justified simply means to be made right before God. You know, I explain it to, I've explained it to children this way. You could think of the phrase, it's just as if I'd kept all the commands. It's just as if I did it. Only Jesus did it for me. He kept every command perfectly. And so Jesus kept each of those perfect commands perfectly. And by that perfect life, he laid that down in order that we could believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and be made right, justified in God's eyes before a holy God. And the book of Romans as a whole really demonstrates the beauty of being justified before God. It's not just a theological term that we throw around to seem smart. It's, it's a reality that should be precious to us. And so that's what the Apostle Paul starts out. Starting back in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul declared that through the blood of Christ, we've been justified before God, reconciled to God, and saved from the wrath of God. All of this offered to us through grace. He builds on that in chapter 6. He tells us what happens when we are to believe the truth of chapter 5. He says, not only did Jesus die for our sins, but he was also raised. So that we who trust in Christ have been also raised from death to life. In the last verse of that chapter, he says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He then tells us in chapter 7 what this is for, all this justification is for. We've died to the law and now live to bear fruit for God. We died to our old selves and we live to God. He says in 7.25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He has delivered me, the wretch that I am, from a body that was given over to sin and death. And finally, at the beginning of chapter 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because sin itself has been condemned by Jesus. It has no, the power that it had, it no longer has over those who believe in Christ. So now we trust in Jesus, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, and we're his adopted sons and daughters in Christ. We can now call him Abba, Father. We have a relationship with our Father. Not only that, but now all things work together for our good according to God's purposes. It's amazing. That's amazing. That just rolls right through. Then we reach the summit, the climax of all that, and we start in verse 31 of chapter 8. And it starts with a question full of astonishment at all that is ours in Jesus, all that I just kind of reviewed quickly. He says, what then shall we say to these things? 
My friends and I, as we did that hike, we, we had similar questions as we looked out on these, these peaks and saw the valleys below us and just said, can you believe these views? It, and it's meant to draw us in to say, look at this. Can you believe what is before us? That's what Paul is doing here. He's, he's saying, what then shall we say to the thing? What do you say? Like, thank you is not enough. Have you ever had a gift given to you or somebody done something so beautiful for you that thanks, just the words just seem mm, just not enough? That's what he's saying. What, what can we say to these things? What do you say to a God that has sacrificed his son for you so you could be justified? And so, looking at this passage, Paul is going to offer up a couple suggestions on ways we could answer that question. And I want to see us to see in this passage two amazing gospel truths. Just two points. So I'm a guest speaker, so you get two rather than three points this morning. Um, and those two, there's one thing that we will never be in Christ, and one thing will always be in Christ. Specifically, the first one is, in Jesus, you will never be condemned. The second one is, in Jesus, you will always be loved. And as we're going to see in this passage, those are easy to say, more difficult to live and believe. And so that's what I want to press into now. So, in Jesus, you will never be condemned, and you will always be loved in Jesus. Go back to verse 31, that great question, which is essentially how are we to respond to all these amazing things God has done through Christ? How, how can we say anything to trusting in the gospel and receiving all this by grace? And the main point of the passage is that given the complete justification that is ours in Christ, we can be fully assured of those two great gospel truths that I mentioned, that you are never condemned and you are always loved. And again, it's one say, thing to say that, but do we believe it in a way that changes the way we live, the way we trust God? That's, that's the purpose, and that's the, the difficult part. It needs to move from our heads down to our hearts that we really believe it. That we trust in this, our justification. So we said that first gospel truth, in Jesus will never be condemned. And to prove that, if you scan down verses 31 to 34, Paul asks three more hypothetical questions. This is something Paul is very good at. He raises questions that demand a response and then shows you the response. So Paul gives these three hypothetical questions, and all of these meant to be answered the same way. So look down in verse 31, the second half. If God is for us, who can be against us? Second question in verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Verse 34, who is to condemn? So let's take each one of those and answer those. In verse 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's saying that if God is so in favor of us, if he's so in favor of us that he gave us the most precious thing to him, that he gave us Jesus, his son, and let him, allowed him, actually called him to die for us, we're meant to conclude that it'd be beyond comprehension that God would withhold anything else. He's given up what's most precious to him. 
in order for us to know his love for us. And that's what it proves. It proves that he loves us beyond our comprehension and that he has defeated all our enemies. All our enemies. So the answer to the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's no one. That's what Paul is driving. No one. No one can be a, against us. So having God in your corner, the one who declared, defeated all our, our enemies, sin, Satan, death itself, every enemy is defeated. And that whole idea, maybe kids could relate to this one, to have God in your corner is, it reminds me of this scene in The Lion King. I'm sure you've all seen that. If you have kids or grandkids, you've seen The Lion King, maybe on repeat. Um, our girls growing up would always watch the same movies over and over. So some of you have that movie memorized. But there's this, there's point where the hyenas come out and they have little Simba kind of cornered and there's no way out and little Simba just kind of musters everything he has for the, to get out this huge roar to scare them away and he digs deep and finally it just lets out this huge roar and they go scrambling away and then the scene cuts to well it's actually the roar of Mufasa his dad and that's why the hyenas left that's a picture of having God in our corner it's it's not that we are so powerful but we know the one who is so powerful our dad protects us. He has already defeated all our enemies, and he's with us so that all our enemies cannot touch us. They cannot harm us anymore. So the second question, who, sh who shall bring any charge against God's elect? In other words, who can point out our sin to God and say, we still deserve to be punished for that? We get a short and sweet answer to that one. It's God who justifies in other words, God is the righteous judge. He is the holy one, the perfect one. He determines who is to be justified and who is not. And he's done that through Christ. And in the case of all our sins before a holy God, in Christ there is no more charge against us in God's courtroom. That's because every, the verdict over us is that we are innocent in Christ, washed by the blood. That's why we sing that song, washed by the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that word elect in the that end of that question should also heighten that sense for us that God has already determined those who have called upon Christ, he's determined that we are his. So who could ever take us away from God? If we are God's the answer to that question the second question who shall bring any charge against God's elect again no one nobody and we need to remember that God the sovereign Lord over the universe is the one whose opinion matters the most not other people's opinions not groups of people and not even ourselves not even our own opinion matters as much as the opinion of God. That's really important to remember. Because I can remember an example one time in uh, another illustration for the, the kids. I was in eighth grade, and this kid, he was actually a friend of mine. We're waiting to go home from school. We're lined up to get on the bus. He started pushing me, as little boys do while waiting in line. It's hard, I know. 
So we, he started pushing and I decided I was done with being pushed, so I pushed him back. And so unfortunately, I pushed him just once and he lost his balance and he, he hit this TV that was on these, the, one of those rolling stands. And so when he hit the TV, he fell with all his weight back and he pushed this TV and it hit the wall and, the, and that TV actually had tubes in it. So the whole TV screen blew up. Yeah, I was a scared little eighth grader. And so we had to go down to the principal's office and just for the record, that was my first time, I swear. Uh, and, and I was scared, but I wasn't as scared going to the principal as I was to go back home. I had to tell my mom and dad that we busted a TV. I'm not sure if we have to pay for it or what's gonna happen. And so I just remember going home and, and through tears, I saw my mom right when I got in the door and I just burst out in tears. I'm telling her, you can ground me for the rest of my life. You can take away my bike, my toys, my, you know, never, you don't have to feed me anymore. I don't, I don't deserve any of this. And my mom, totally confused, calmed me down, said, had me tell the story. And she said, Jeff, we're gonna, we're gonna work through this together. It's gonna be okay. Whoa, what a relief. It's a lot like what we can do with God, though. We can come to him and say, you don't know how bad I've sinned this time. I've really messed up, really let you down again. I don't deserve your love. You can take it away from me. I deserve to be punished. But God intended to show his love through giving us Christ to forgive our sins. So our Heavenly Father says, come to me, confess what you've done. Confess and receive grace that I purchased at the cost of my son. Receive that and live from that, live out of that identity as a forgiven child of God. That's what repentance looks like that. It turning from sin and turning to live for God. Third related question in that we find in verse 34. Who is to condemn? By now you know the, the answer to that. No one. But point, Paul points out his response to a sacrificial Savior, our risen Lord, our high priest, who in the book of Hebrews similarly points out, he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is right now praying on your behalf to the Father. He doesn't stop praying for us. And so he makes sure that we are never condemned and that Romans 8.1 is true for us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So who is to condemn? No one. And all these three questions, they all prove 100% that we are 100% completely justified in Christ. It's complete. It's, Jesus said it was finished. Yet, even in making that case, we should wonder, why does Paul go through all the trouble of giving us all this assurance? He's asked these hypothetical questions. We hear no one, no one can condemn us. No one can come after us. No one can stand against us. All these things. Why does he keep going over this over and over and over? If the point is, Jesus, in Jesus, you will never be condemned. Why doesn't he just say that? That would have been a lot easier. This would have been a shorter sermon, right? I think because we need assurance because we are tempted by an accuser. 
wonder if you're like me and ever caught yourself thinking things like, you call yourself a Christian? Look what you just did. Look what you just, did you hear yourself? Did you hear what you just said to them? Did you see the people you've hurt, the messes you've created? You really call yourself a Christian? And what do we do with that? A lot of times, I know I do, I shrink back. I say, you're right. I'm not worthy. I, I shouldn't be. We shrink back. And if we worry about others judging us, scared that we'll be found, found out and revealed, we might hide that sin in order to protect and just continue to live in it and reap the actual consequences of that. So this assurance is for all of those who are tempted to believe that lie. That we don't, the truth is we don't deserve God's love for us. But the opposite truth is he died for us so that we could be loved by God and know his love for us. So who could be against us? No one could be against us. In Jesus, you will never be condemned. It's the first amazing truth here. The second, and this will be shorter, amazing gospel truth is found in verses 35 to 39. And that's in Jesus, you'll always be loved. In Jesus, you'll always be loved. First truth that we looked at, you'll never be condemned. That helps us understand the results of our justification. This one actually helps us to feel and experience the reality of that justification. There's another really easy truth to understand, very difficult to really believe that God really loves me. And why? It's because if we're honest, we know what a mess we are. I, I know my heart. God knows it better. But I know how messed up my heart is, how much I desire to sin at times. I know all of that. And so it's hard for me to believe that a perfect God would love me. And so we need this gospel reminder that in Christ, you are loved. You will always be loved. Let's start to unpack that a little bit. The whole reason God did all of this could be summed up in a verse many of us know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why? Because he loved us. That's the purpose. Jesus gave his life for, to show God's love, to fully display God's love, to give his loving sacrifice that we be justified and experience the love of God for eternity. And this is ours, free gift from God through Christ. Verse 35 is the last and final big question. If you look down there, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Again, he just doesn't say, no one, nothing quite yet. He says, who could ever separate us from the love of Christ? And then just like those other questions, no one, that's his main point, no one can ever separate us from the love of Christ. Here's the thing, to be confident in the power of the gospel, we not only need to understand the gospel is true, but that we also need to understand that the love of the, of the God of the gospel is real. Not just that the gospel is true, but the God of the gospel is real and true and loves you. That's why we need this confidence. 
the second half of this tells us that the reason God justifies through Christ, accomplished through love, by love, for love's sake, is to know God's steadfast love for us so we can persevere. So that we'd know beyond a shadow of doubt, no, my God loves me. He gave me Jesus. He absolutely loves me. I think you guys have gone through the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's an amazing book, and it's all about Jesus' heart for us. That Jesus loves us. Jesus didn't just check off these spiritual boxes that he had to, spiritual hoops he had to jump through in order to uh, free us from the bondage of sin just because he wasn't just so annoyed with us and the mess that we were in. He actually sees our sin but loves us anyway. Wants us to know his love for us. And so that's what he wants us to see, that there's hope for sinners and sufferers to become free from this broken mess that we're in, in spite actually being drawn into it. God is drawn into our mess and says, I have a solution for that. I love you, and I will see you through that. All these things point to barriers Barriers to what was it if Paul has to ask the question what could keep us from l the love of God through Christ there must be barriers that he's hinting at and and what are the barriers that keep us from believing that Jesus really loves us and I, I think the the biggest reality and biggest barrier is simply life Life happens. So many people walk away from their faith because it's unfathomable to them that a good God would let bad things happen to his people. The Bible's aware of that reality, and so we see Paul teasing this concept out in the messiness of life. He doesn't pretend it's all good and it's all roses. Instead of simply saying that no one and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, he knows we can anticipate that answer. No one. We know Paul. But he wants us to address all the objections that trip up our hearts. He wants us to know that we know that we know that we know God loves us in Christ. So he works through this list, if you look down at the passage, a list of reasons our hearts could fall or fail to believe God's really love, his love for us is real. And so to see that, what I mean, re, let me look at that and reread verse 35. And consider each one of these as I read it, and think about for yourself. Think about for yourself, and what, which one of these things trips you up? keeps you from believing God's love for you is real. And as I do, I'm going to read them and I'm going to try to put them in a little bit modern terms so we can relate to them. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, tribulation is adversity, grief, heartache, or distress, in other words, anxiety, or persecution, it's being mistreated unfairly by others, famine, any kind of poverty, not having enough money to meet our needs. Nakedness, that's being afraid that God won't provide our basic necessities. Or danger, there's emergencies in our lives, crises in our lives. Or sword, the fear that we'd be killed or have to die due to persecution for being a Christian. I don't know which one of these is a bigger barrier for you, but you know. 
you know, and I thought about this for myself, and I think the biggest one in this list for me is adversity. Adversity keeps me from believing sometimes God's love for me. And that comes in two forms. One, it comes in self-doubt. I don't know if everybody here is fully assured of themselves or that you doubt yourself sometimes, like me. I put myself in this feeling of not measuring up and it's a burden every time I mess up, do something wrong, say something wrong. It's more wood on that fire of God can't love a mess like you. He just can't. That's hard. That's hard for us. And I start to believe that lie rather than believing what we're trying to see in this passage, which is in Christ you will always be loved. You're going to mess up. Christ is there for you. You're going to have issues. You're going to create problems. Christ is there. Forgiveness is there. Grace is there at his feet for you. The other form, I said there's two forms of adversity. The other one is physical issues in my family. So last December, my wife, Christy, was diagnosed with MS. And though we've been given lots of hope uh, from doctors and with new medications that the future looks good, uh, it's still not certain and could change at, at any point. We don't know. Uh, also, our, our, we have three daughters. Our middle daughter has uh, suffered from arthritis since she was one and a half. Uh, that's when we were diagnosed. And so she suffered with that. She's now 18. And so that's kind of something she'll have for the rest of her life. And so these things, you look at them and you go, and I know some of you may be carrying heavier burdens than that. But these are things that cause us to doubt. Does God really love me? If, if he puts these things in my life, does he really love me? And the answer is absolutely. Paul gives us a list because we have been or are being or will be tempted to doubt God's goodness. That's original sin. God's really not good. He's withholding from you. He's not giving you everything. He's not telling you everything. He's not giving you everything you want. Surely he can't be trusted. Surely he can't love you. And in saying that, God shows his love by giving us Christ to die for us. But Jesus did that to show his love for us. You see in verse 37, none of these things listed can separate us from God's love because we are more than conquerors. That's the phrase he uses. More than conquerors, meaning not only has Christ justified us before God, therefore conquered sin, death, and our enemy, but we are more than conquerors, meaning we are fully assured conquerors in Christ. We have full assurance. We're guaranteed that in Christ no one will ever condemn us and God will always love us. We need to believe this truth. God sends us trials because he, not because he doesn't love us. He promises us that in those trials he is right there next to us. He is there for us. Right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding on your behalf. One commentator says, The victory comes not by escaping suffering, nor even in courage in the face of suffering, but in God's love in the midst of suffering. That's the key to getting through suffering. God loves you. You're not suffering because of his lack of love. He will love you through the trials. 
After listing all these physical, emotional things that could threaten our faith, Paul takes it even a step further and addresses cosmic and supernatural powers that could potentially threaten us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are trusting in Christ, your faith is well-founded. He has proven that. He has guaranteed that. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You can confidently answer, absolutely no one and nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. I'm going to close with this. If you're a believer in Christ, trusting in Jesus, following Jesus, this is the truth about your relationship to God in Christ. This is reality for you. This is the life you're living. You're never condemned. You're always loved. And remembering that we're 100% justified, made right in the sight of God, nothing can separate you from that love. That's why God's word says that we are more than conquerors in Christ. Sin's conquered. Death is conquered. Satan's conquered. All your enemies are conquered in Christ. And until Jesus returns, he's going to hold you fast to himself. He's going to hold you fast even as you cling to him. If you're a follower of Jesus, nothing is going to take you away from God. If you're not already trusting in Jesus, you don't consider yourself to be a believer, let me just commend to you that there's nothing better than the unfailing, never-ending, perfect love of Jesus. If you're trying to figure out what's missing in life, that's what's missing. You don't know the love of Christ that is there for us. To figure that out, that's, that's the good news that anyone can get in on this. This isn't for just holy people. Anyone who lays down their life says, I'm tired of, of living this life of selfishness. I'm tired of living this mess that I keep creating. I'm tired of living just for myself. Would you forgive me? Would you justify me in your sight? I want to trust in Christ, turn from my sin and trust in Christ and live a life that's pleasing to God. That's the start of a relationship with Christ and all the benefits that we've been talking about. This is exactly why Jesus came to earth. Not that we would shape ourselves up to be worthy of him, but he would make a way by laying down his life so we would be seen as worthy of him. And then we can be more than conquerors, knowing that God's love for us is so deep and wide that it can never be us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your love for us is extraordinary. It's lavish. We don't deserve it. Yet you extend your love through Christ, that we might believe in Christ, trust in our Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, and be freed, free from death and sin, our enemies. 
and free to live for you, a life that's pleasing to you and full of joy for us. You promise life to the full now and forever. Lord, I pray, use your word this morning in each of our hearts. I pray that we would believe that if we are trusting in you, we are 100% made right before you. And we are, there's no one or nothing, nothing in the world or in the universe that could be imagined that could ever take us away from your love for us in Christ. Let that give us confidence this morning when we doubt your love, when we tell ourselves lies that you don't love us anymore. Lord, work that in our hearts that we would fully trust in you and let that confidence lead to lives that are lived for you and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.